This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talk with Jessica Watson, who's a product design manager at Facebook, what's the best advice she's been given about design? Here's what she had to say. The best advice I've heard and that I continue to give is to just trust the process. We have a process for a reason as designers. And in the early stages of a product, um, it's easy to feel uncomfortable in the ambiguity. Um, and sometimes it's hard not to immediately jump to the pixels and try to solve the problem yet. But at that point, you may not have even defined the problem. And um, so especially with newer designers that join the team that feel uh, a little uneasy in that space, I continually reiterate, just trust the process. It works. You've seen it work before. It'll continue to work. Um, so continue to use that process and we'll see great things come of it. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Prairie View A&M University is looking for an adjunct assistant professor for their art department. Facebook is looking for a research program manager as well as a UX researcher. We also have job listings from Indeed.com. So head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly job alert so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for even more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters, including us. We use it to send out our monthly newsletter, as well as our weekly job alerts and any other announcements that we need to send out. I've been using MailChimp for about six or seven years, maybe a little bit more than that, and no other email service provider is better when it comes to functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. That's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to not only find the domain name that you're looking for, but get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. I've got two new iTunes reviews here. Both of these are wonderful five-star reviews. Again, if you love the show, please go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment. We will read it right here on the show. The first one here is from Artist Adonma. The title is Great Tool for Learning More About Black Artists, Designers, and Techies. Really enjoyed Andrea Pippin's interview so much so that I'm inspired to go back and get my MFA in graphic design. Thanks for creating a platform for us and keep up the great work. Wow, that's that's amazing that that one interview inspired you to go back to design school. Please, please, please write us and let us know how your journey goes. I would love to hear more about that. The second review here is from DeAngela. It's titled, A Podcast Which Deserves to Be Heard. For the past couple of years, I've listened to two or three podcasts religiously. While I enjoyed listening to them, I always wondered why the guests were so homogenous. More often than not, these podcasts all had slash have the same guests who are on the podcast circuit doing the rounds. There are others here with us, and I have finally found a podcast that realizes this. Revision Path is by far one of the best podcasts that one can listen to for different journeys and perspectives in the usual fare, and it is just as inspirational and enlightening, if not more so, than other podcasts out there. Thank you, Maurice, for bringing this much-needed dialogue to the podcast sphere. Wow, thank you so much, D'Angelo. Again, that comes from uh, D'Angelo. D'Angelo was actually on the show, D'Angelo Duff, if you go to the podcast archives at revisionpath.com forward slash podcast, 
Go and listen to her interview. I think it's like number 53 or 54. Really great interview. Again, D'Angelo, thank you so much for leaving that review. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So last week, you know, I kind of broke from script a little bit, did an intro, just had to kind of speak from my heart on things that were going on. And that did cause us to lose a few patrons, but we also gained some new patrons, putting us at 37 patrons for a total of $271 per month. Not only is that the highest amount of patrons that we've had to date, that's also the highest amount of money that we've gotten from Patreon to date. So. Thank you so much for all of you that have pledged your support and appreciation for the show. It really, really, really helps out. We're just a few episodes away. Actually, next week is our 150th episode. What am I talking about? Next week, 150 episodes of Revision Path. So if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy the guests, if you've gotten any sort of value from listening to this show, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get access to some really great perks like early access to future episodes and free revision path goodies like stickers, notebooks, etc. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and it's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. I'm talking with Dee Nichols, a civic organizer, creative director. She does a lot and she'll tell you she does a lot. I think you're really going to like this episode. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. All right. My name is D. Andrea Nichols, or just D. And I am a woman who wears many hats in the city of, of St. Louis. I spend much of my time as a museum social worker. I am involved with community organizing and engagement through the arts with the Contemporary Art Museum here. And then I also lead a creative team called Civic Creatives that uses what we call our common cultural denominators, which are like storytelling, music, food, the arts, design, all of these elements that are constantly surrounding us. We use those as ways of organizing our communities and helping them design solutions to issues that matter to them. I was just named one of St. Louis's 2006 visionaries. So I, I did receive the, the visionary award. And with that has come a, a lot of opportunities to expand my, my own platform in many ways. I travel the nation as a public speaker and keynote who speaks about design thinking and human-centered design practices. And a lot of that is in regards of how do we educate young people to inhabit a lot of these practices within their own works and their own engagements within their schools and in neighborhoods. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but at the same time, for, for me, it all fits. And a lot of what I do in the brick and mortar of my life with the, the museum feeds into my work with civic creatives and vice versa. A lot of the methods and processes that we use in our startup transfers over into how we implement and actualize ideas and, and projects and, and experiences in an uh, art museum space as well. Well, yeah, let's talk about your work with the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis. As you sort of described yourself, you're a museum social worker. What does that really entail? Yeah, so... It deals a lot with my own background and, and education. So I studied as a communications designer when I was an undergrad, but then I studied social work while I was in grad school. And uh, a big part of my experience with being a social worker at that time was using that experience and all of the research in a way that allowed me to see, well, how do the arts and how do communities and economic development all integrate and, and speak to each other. And with being at CAM at the museum, how that comes into play is through organizing with communities that surround the, the museum and the larger Grand Center Arts District that it's located in and working in tandem with residents, with nonprofit leaders, with gatekeepers and stakeholders and older women to identify what the needs are in the lens of the arts, but 
then trickling down to say, if you cannot access the arts, what are those tangible needs that need to be met in order to get you more engaged and more involved? And so what comes up with that is organizing around transportation issues, organizing around academic and educational support for youth and children, providing opportunities for families to step outside of their neighborhoods and engage in these opportunities and experiences that tend to be more welcoming and more accessible to families who live in the county, i.e. white families. And so a lot of what it means to be a museum social worker is to really help the museum figure out how it engages with the public, how it engages with families and youth, and how it engages with people who have needs that need to be met. And how do we do that through the arts and through a museum structure? And now this is the work also that you won the the 2016 Visionary Award that you spoke about earlier. Actually, it's related, but that award came through, I I believe, a a few different efforts and, and facets of my life. When the unrest happened in Ferguson, Missouri, which is only like 12 minutes away from where I'm based here in St. Louis, I was a protester on the streets, but also an organizer with the museum and organized artists from all across the city to respond to the the unrest that was happening in Ferguson in various ways. And we ended up convening ourselves under the umbrella of this collective called the Artivist STL. And one of the main projects that I organized artists to help me actualize was this vision, this dream, in many ways, this nightmare of this casket that was made completely out of mirrors that kept popping up in my dreams whenever I would leave the protests, especially those protests that had so much police force threatening our lives and causing so much trauma. And in this nightmare, I would constantly see the bodies of black men and and women carrying this, this mirror casket from where Mike Brown was slain to, you know, just an abyss. And so I reached out to artists who were also on the ground to build this casket. And we did. And long story short, it was toured all across the state and utilized in countless protests. It was featured in a book. And then we got hold of Amnesty International. They featured it in one of their conferences here in St. Louis. And then the Smithsonian reached out and said that they wanted to collect it into the new museum that's opening in September, the National Museum for African-American History and Culture. And so they bought that, that sculpture. And since then, we've been organizing even more efforts that just tackle and address and confront so many issues of the corruption that's in the city, so many issues of the needs that still need to be met, so much of like how we still have so much to do even with the aftermath of the Ferguson Report and the Ferguson Commission. And that played into my life at the museum in many ways. But it was, you know, that body, that organizing body of artists that helped me to create that piece, which then spiraled into all of these other opportunities, too. Yeah, I remember seeing that casket, I think, at a few a few protests. I remember seeing the casket of mirrors. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool that the the new Smithsonian African American History Museum is picking that up and putting that as part of their collection. Since you're in St. Louis and like you said, you're near Ferguson, I know that the media has kind of I feel like moved on in a way. I don't know if that's really a good way to put it, but they've sort of moved on away from talking about Ferguson, of course, because now there's been incidents that have happened in Baltimore, of course, with Freddie Gray mm-hmm. and really all over the country. What is really kind of the pulse of what's happening right now? Like, what are the issues that are affecting that community now? Yes. You know, it's, it's always a multifaceted thing in, in St. Louis. Directly in the aftermath of Ferguson, some efforts that are still happening include that 
you know, the Ferguson Commission, some of those commissioners and the organizers that they were working with decided to develop a nonprofit called uh, Ford through Ferguson. And their whole mission is to organize organizations and institutions and leaders across St. Louis to actualize those 180 plus actions that were listed in the Ferguson report to make sure that they actually happen. And I'm actually, through Civic Creatives, I'm consulting and working on content creation with Ford through Ferguson right now. And a lot of the ways that we're approaching that work includes breaking down the different themes of education and municipal courts and, you know, policing, all of these big pocket issues that came up and tackling them one-on-one very comprehensively, but all with a racial equity lens as the umbrella. And there's been an onslaught of organizations that have stepped up to the plate to carry on a lot of that work and a lot of those recommendations and actions. However, one of the big things that we realized is that so much of what Ferguson and the unrest here to the forefront were the actions of grassroots organizers and young people. And so as a young person and as a grassroots organizer, I'm still working with a lot of the folks who I met on the ground and a lot of the folks who were you know, in the streets day in and day out to really devise more ways of radically addressing and attacking some of these issues that are still ongoing. As an example, St. Louis is a very divided city. There are 93 different municipalities within our region that keeps us fragmented and keeps a certain portion of the community constantly impoverished because everyone has independent systems. And food deserts is a huge issue. And so I partnered with uh, an organizer who happens to have had been a doctor at SLU. And we turned and outfitted this empty metro bus into a mobile farmer's market just to get food to people who were still suffering in areas that didn't have grocery stores. There is a student who is organizing a free lunch summer program for for kids who are out in Ferguson and, and across the city because they're, you know, they're high schoolers and they were organizing these walkouts. But when summer hits, they don't have food to eat. And so that type of grassroots effort is still happening, too. In addition to that, we're still working on a lot of direct actions there. We're St. Louis is about to enter a huge transition in the sense of the mayor stepping down and the mayoral seat opening up. And there are a lot of people vying to run for mayor and we're we're putting the fire to their bellies because we cannot keep this city existing in the way that it was. We have to reprioritize. We have to reconstruct the ways that we're that we're governing ourselves, but also the ways that we're living together. If we're ever going to make progress and bring St. Louis from 1955 to 2016. Talk to me about civic creatives. How did you get started with that? Yeah. So civic creatives is actually a spinoff of a nonprofit that I started when I was in grad school that was called Catalyst by Design. And the mission of Catalyst by Design was simply to to organize different convenings that allow people to learn the design thinking process and apply it to issues that were of meaning to them. And we decided to dissolve Catalyst by Design, keep some of the programs like the Design Service Program that won the Clinton Global Initiative twice, the United Story project as well and just all these other efforts and and instead of having a nonprofit to turn it into a for-profit entity that allows us to take on more client projects and organize even more people with a larger capacity and so the creatives still organizes all of these different convenings but we've narrowed it down to really look at once again, what what we call our common cultural denominators, those things that no matter what our race is, what our sexuality and our gender and our religion is, are commonplace amongst all of us. And so these are things like food. 
So we have Food Spark that we organize monthly here in St. Louis, but also in Miami and soon uh, different parts of Illinois in order to just bring people together over issues that they identify each month that are of interest and concern for them. During these, these potluck dinner gatherings that are only two hours long, sometimes three, they connect with other people who have interest in, in this particular topic. They discuss it, and we've just started recording and archiving some of those at foodspark.org. And then we connect them together to really start brainstorming, well, how do we address this issue? Another example is United Story, using storytelling, design serves, using design thinking. And soon we'll be opening another platform uh, through the Griot Museum here to really think about how do we use entertainment spaces as a way to convene people for social change as well. Yeah, that sort of segues into a question I was uh, going to ask you about. I guess your, your design work intersects a lot with social and civic issues, which I think is is great. That actually seems to be a theme of this month, kind of, for interviews that I've had. Everyone that I've had on so far uses their design work in some sort of way towards helping out the greater good. What impact do you think, because you work with, I'm assuming you work with local government with some of the the initiatives and things that you're doing in St. Louis, is, would that be a good assumption? Yes. Right now, I'm on a team that is organizing and creating experiences to help push a mayoral candidate to charge Jones towards the forefront of this next mayoral uh, race. And a lot of that includes design work that is interactive uh, and on the street with people. What can designers do to sort of get involved, like in the way that you are getting involved locally and civically? I think we, we have to be more open-minded about where the intersections exist. For me, one example that I always use is that the design process that I use, which goes from discovering you know the topic that I, I want to design for, creating that creative brief, and you know going into ideation, sketches and prototypes, and then you know testing it with users and then, evaluating and creating it and and finessing it, all of that applies to community organizing as well. That's one easy way to, to get off of the computer and into the public with the design process. I, I think as well, there is a lot of need amongst organizers to have quality design, like visual graphic design elements included in their work. And so thinking about the fact that that designers are taught to think in a certain way, to, to be able to digest information and, and complex systems and make that visually digestible and aesthetically like pleasing, that is mm-hmm. one way to help in social change, is to help people better tell their story and prove their points that they're trying to make in their work. I'm a designer who gets very hands-on. I know that is not something that every designer wants to do. So that other alternative of like designing for and with organizers is one pathway. Talk to me about your creative process. I mean, when you see a project that you think you would want to work on or you just come up with the idea for a project, what's your process for seeing it through from start to finish? Yeah, so for... For me, because I'm also a social worker, my process is is a little bit more complex than what I just expressed. A lot of what you know our clients see is, and not necessarily just our clients, but like even when we're doing independent projects by by ourselves, a lot of what we envelop into the process is what's called evidence-based research. And so there's a lot of community relationship building that happens before we even come up with an idea, before we even discover what we want to do and want to create. There's a lot of face-to-face interaction with people and dinners and hanging out and being in their space. And from those conversations, that's when we start to have more conversations that are about 
those what if questions and the how might we. And everything starts with how might we fill in the blank. Once we have that, that's when we go into this process of brainstorming and, and ideating as many ideas, both traditional and easy and obvious ideas and approaches to the most radical, insane ones, you know? And we tend to find that our happy medium is somewhere in that middle ground, but closer to the radical things that seem impossible. From there, working in tandem with whatever partners are a part of the process, that's when we start to create and test things. And sometimes it's not polished. Sometimes it's really ugly. And we go back to the drawing board, like with the St. Louis Metro Market. Like we went through so many iterations of what the bus would look like on the exterior and interior, what the the interfacing with the public would look like, considering that this is a bus with a grocery store inside of it. And the ways that we traditionally think about getting onto a bus had to be reversed in order to make it make sense for the user, you know? And so we go through a lot of that testing. And once we have the it, that's when we start to focus on, okay, how do we bring this to market? What is our marketing strategy for it? How do we really design a brand around it? And not just a brand in the sense of like the visuals and the web interfaces and the social media that we create for it, but a brand in the sense of like, how does this, this thing that we've created make people feel? And that's the process. I really like that so much of your work is kind of this conglomeration of a lot of different things that you've done. You served in social work. You went to, I believe it was Washington University. Is that correct? Yes. Went to Washington University in an arts field. Is that correct? Communications design. Communications design. Yeah. How are you able to kind of mesh all this together into one thing? Because I feel like when art students, say, for example, come out of school, the notion is that you just go on to become a designer. The The focus seems to be pretty narrow, even if you have other experiences in there. And for you, it looks like you've taken the sum of all your experiences and, and sort of made it into this one, I don't want to say position, but like this one focus that you have for your career. Yeah. And I tried that, that traditional stuff. It wasn't a fit for me. I've always been someone who's been socially conscious since I was a kid and was just like an art, like visual art school. I went to a creative and performing arts school when I was in high school and all of my work back then was about social issues and more so about feelings like the struggle and oppression and these heavy things that I did not have the words to express, but I could paint a picture to show you someone who's in agony because of their, their social and life conditions. And so by the time I got to undergrad and started studying and majoring in communications design, my mind was already there. And I had to struggle so much to keep that consciousness in my work because what my my counselors and my career advisors and my professors knew, especially as, as white people teaching a black kid, a, a very woke black kid, they said, yeah, here are the, the internship opportunities and the career options. You can work at an agency, you can work in-house for a nonprofit, you can start your own freelance business, or you can start licensing your illustrations, your design work. And I tried a little bit and of all of that. I hated working at agencies. I hated looking at a screen all day. In fact, my, my senior year of, of undergrad, I had a professor doing a critique who made me cry because he blatantly told me after seeing all of my all of my work, you should not be a designer. You should be out there with the people. Don't limit yourself to this. And it was it was those words that made me branch out out of going on that traditional path for my career. And so I, I had, you know, a few jobs right after undergrad when I was figuring things out where I was working at agencies and then like a sales and marketing firm. And I hated that, that experience. I didn't feel like that, like my spirit was being filled, you know? So I took this fellowship opportunity 
uh, with Project MLAB to just go into parts of rural America and figure out what type of designer do I, I want to be? And we didn't have the vocabulary of social impact designer back then. We didn't have human-centered designer. That wasn't a title or a role or a job that you could pursue. And I had a horrible experience on, on my fellowship, especially as the only Black person, the only person who had ever lived down South, the only person on my team who had ever ex experienced like extreme poverty and as one of two women. It, it was a, a constant struggle. And so what I did after that, after that fellowship was create a Kickstarter campaign to go back to my own community, uh, which at the time was, I grew up in rural Mississippi. I went back to, to Cleveland, Mississippi and I was gung-ho about doing it right and figuring out what right was. And ever since then, that's the path that I've been on. And I went to grad school for social work to, to gain those skills as a designer to know how do I work better and consciously and culturally competently with community members. Looking back at the work that you've done are you satisfied with kind of where you're at right now in your life? I'm never content. I am one of those people who's never content. I've, I've been blessed to do a lot of amazing things. I have um, opened a conference with Bill Clinton. I get to travel this nation keynoting and talking about design in my life and the struggle and opportunities for young people. I get to mentor a lot of black girls about finding their own path in their own visual voice. And, and then on, on the flip side of that, I get to just be and decide what path, what paths I want to take. But even with having all of that, there's still certain things that I still aspire for. And so that's why I say I'm not satisfied yet because I haven't done those things. I haven't fulfilled those goals. So as an example, one thing that I'm really into right now is YouTubing. I have a YouTube channel. I have two YouTube channels, actually. And I love that platform just to be able to share insight and ideas with people. But have I reached capacity on it? No, I have not. And in addition to that, like I have this project called Sticky Note to Self. And I'm in the process of writing a book. Do I feel satisfied with where I am with that? No, I, I feel like I'm not content yet because I don't have the capacity yet to actualize even more ideas into the world, you know? And so I, I feel like that's an impossible goal to have. So I don't think I'll ever be content or satisfied, but I will always be happy and joyful and grateful for where I am and what I've accomplished thus far. Wow, that's <laughs> so amazing. For someone that kind of would want to follow in your footsteps in terms of what you've been able to do to kind of meld together all the, the different things that you've studied and, and stuff like that, what advice would you give them? One biggest thing that has been super helpful for, for me in my life is working at the intersections of things, which is obvious. Like I'm a social worker and a designer and my work is at the intersection of the two. There, there are a lot of issues and there are a lot of innovations that are happening and if you look at the, the the root of a lot of these you notice that it's either marrying two things that may be opposite or is taking something that already exists and making it better and so my advice is to always think about how can you make something that you love even better? How can you make something that you hate even better? How can you match something that may seem unrelated in order to solve a problem that you that you see? I also am someone who is who doesn't work in a monolithic way. And so it's very hard for me to say, yeah, I'm a designer without saying, and I am this and I am that because I, I feel like there is power in the and. So I, I would consider I would advise people to really think about that that marriage of what they're what they're good at, what they're passionate about and what the world needs. And you may find something that's your sweet spot. 
Now, you mentioned earlier this project that you're working on, the Sticky Note Project. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I I used to really aspire to be a vlogger, and I really suck at, at blogging because I I just don't have the attention span to write every day. Mm-hmm. But I noticed a while back that I would write these sticky notes full of like my tasks for the day and reminders, like notes to self. And it got to a point right in the midst of the movement on April 1st of 2015, where I got on Twitter and I saw one of my friends who was just being like torn down on Twitter. And he, he was so fed up and he reached out and texted me for, you know, advice. And I remember telling him that advice and then writing that advice on a sticky note for myself, for me to remember. And I kept, I believe the first 20 sticky notes, I never posted them or anything like that. And then one day there was one, I was like, I got to take a photo of this, post it on my Instagram and share it with other people. And since then, that's when the Sticky Note to Self project was born. And so it's not an art project. It's not a design project, even though it's creative, but it's my way of blogging and reflecting on the lessons that I'm learning every day with amazing people and sharing that back out with with the world. And so now there are hundreds of these sticky notes and I'm in the process of authoring a, a book in order to compile them, compile them all. In addition to that, I recently piloted the first sticky note to self uh, video on my on one of my YouTube pages in order to just talk about some of these issues and topics at large and in a more expanded way, considering that I I just cannot write for a long time. Like I get distracted too easily, but I can talk forever. And so I'm really trying to build a community of of thinkers and reflectors through this project in order to just like get us all to, to sit with ourselves each day and think about what we're learning from the people around us. Wow. What are kind of the next steps for you, like with Civic Creatives, with the work that you're doing? What do you see coming in the future? Yeah, so there there are a few things in the pipeline. Definitely more content creation through video platforms. And the work with Ford through Ferguson will steer a lot of that. And so I definitely encourage people to join me on YouTube because we'll have a lot of content being created over these next few few months that is more frequent and consistent and like series of content. In addition to that, I'll be speaking at the Affect Conference in October and gearing up a lot of social projects with the Design Serves effort and uh, Food Spark to expand both of those to more cities, just so that we're not hoarding the, the knowledge and the process, but we're able to allow other folks who are engaging with us from different cities to, to do it themselves, you know? So that's what's in my, my pipeline right now. A lot of work, a lot of tool building, um, a lot of sharing, and a lot of uh, content creation with, with regard of digital media. Now, this might be a lofty question, and, and you sort of probably have answered this in some way. Mm-hmm some of your earlier responses, but to you, what does it really mean to be a designer today? And the reason I ask this is because you approach design from a very different viewpoint than what I think a lot of people maybe listening to this show Uh might think of with design. They might think of design as just web design, graphic design, you know, something that's more behind the computer. Whereas a lot of your design work is tactile and it's mm-hmm. in the community. So for you, from that vantage point, what do you see as, as like, what does it mean to be a designer today? Yeah, I think for me, being a designer today is not necessarily just about the things that we make and create. It's more so about the ways that we're, that we're thinking and rethinking systems, that we're rethinking products and, and services, uh, that we're rethinking the aesthetics that surround us. And what those aesthetics mean in a social way. And so I I think that with 
the designers who may be listening to this podcast who are web designers and print designers and communications designers, I would encourage them to to open, to expand that that notion even more, to, to really think about what does it mean to design in the digital realm, considering that so many of us are interfacing online our phones even more? What does it mean to then bridge that digital realm back into the public and with the people? One of the the big things that we think about a lot here in St. Louis is this issue of vacancy that we have here in the city, as well as homelessness. And what would it look like to transform the buildings that are boarded up into maker spaces into what we're calling common places, places where people can convene and give life into a building until it actually has life. That is a way of redesigning the the utilization of space within a city. And so I do understand that like for many of us, myself included, who have been trained as traditional designers in communications and graphics and, and web in digital formats as well, that we hear a lot of people throwing around this word design and design thinking and human-centered design without knowing what the heck they're talking about. But I, I would encourage us to embrace some of that, that conversation as well so that we can expand the impact of the work that we're already so good at doing, you know? Yeah, Totally. So who are some of the people that have inspired you over the years? I imagine that a lot of the work that you do kind of comes with a tremendous amount of community support. Yes, indeed. A lot of the people who've inspired and mentored and influenced me, really, it really ranges. There have been a lot of local leaders, women leaders especially, who've just made their own investments into my life. I think about the directors of the Regional Arts Commission here in St. Louis, Maxine Clark, who, who founded Build-A-Bear, and her husband, Bob Fox, and how for women like myself, they become oftentimes our first like investors, which is really great. I think about the people who've like supported me through the Clinton Global Initiative and Points of Light and the Civic Accelerator and how they're still influencing my life just through communication. Very close to me are, I would say, uh, is a village of women who pour into my life and allow me to share into theirs as well. And that's really amazing to just have a village of women of color, not just black women either, who invite each other over to each other's homes. And we talk about what we're going through. We connect each other with resources to to help each other along our paths and accelerate us to our next levels. And that's really great to, to just have in my life at this age of, you know, pushing 30 and wanting to feel more grounded. So those in general are some of the people. If I had to call out specific names, it would be Amanda Moore McBride. And I already said Maxine Clark. Brittany Packnett, who's on the Obama Police Task Force and is a super activist and all of the unrest against police brutality. And we we went to the same university and it's just really amazing to have that type of relationship with her. Kira Vanille, who's with Boeing and is just pouring into young women's lives. All of these types of women who are black and bold and, and older and just paving a way for all of us to really have space to be our best selves and share our magic with the world, you know? If there is a place out there in the world that you'd want to go and create something in, because I know a lot of the work that you've done, at least from what we discussed earlier, has kind of been in and around, you know, St. Louis. Where in the world would you want to go? What would you make? Yeah, so I actually have some projects that have existed in different parts of rural America before I moved back to St. Louis. That's where I was really focused. In addition to that, we have some projects right now in Miami and in Seattle. Within the United States, if I could go anywhere right now, the places that are on my mind include New Orleans because New Orleans is a city that is still recovering from Hurricane Katrina. And 
in its struggle, there are also so many progressive things that are happening, especially with communities of color and the creative communities that are down there. And so there's this design movement and this civic space that is really allowing ideas to flourish. And I would love to be a part of that type of movement. In addition to that, cities like Baltimore, Philly, you know, Detroit, all of these cities that have been thriving in in its own past, but, but are now primarily Black and highly segregated and is in this space of rediscovery of its own self and its own its own culture. That's part of why I live in St. Louis is because I saw that when I was here. And when I left, I wanted to come back and actually be a part of the, the progress and the change. And so I wouldn't choose any place fancy to go and, and do work in. I, I want to be where the people are and I want to be where there is need because that's what my practice is all about. And in addition to that, I want to help people who look like myself. I really do. And part of that means shunning away from a lot of those big, bigger and fancy cities, uh, both nationally and abroad. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years? I mean, I know you're doing so much work, but where do you think you want to end up in the near future? You know, outside, or I should say in addition to the type of work that I'm doing now, I want, I definitely want to be doing this within the next five years. I think that's a huge testament of, of strength and growth of an organization and of a practice that we're still existing five years from now and not only existing, but thriving and really making a tangible and measurable impact with the communities we're working with. But in addition to that, or I should say, and in addition to that, I have been having conversations with a director of a black museum here in St. Louis. It's uh, called the Griot Museum of of Black History and Art. And it was formerly a, a wax museum. It started in 1997 and it's at a place of transition and I've built a relationship with its current executive director who's been directing this museum since it's, you know, since it started and she's ready to retire and transition. And I have my heart and my eyes set on being a part of that museum. And so I don't know if that, that means that I will become the director. I would love to become the director of this museum and, revitalize it and make it a stakeholder in this city and nationally once again. So that that is like my big ambition right now. Would you keep the same name for the museum? I would keep the name Grio. I would very likely expand its concept of of history and its concept of art and transition it into a museum and a space in a forum for convening people around contemporary art and art history and black history that's happening right now. We're literally making history and there is no space besides like Museum Hue to that's really capturing that within our city. So that's part of my ambition right now. Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah, I am all over the place. That is one of the things that people often say. (laughs) I am most active on Facebook. So search me, D Nichols, on Facebook or facebook.com slash D-E-A-N-D-R-E-A-N, D'Andrea N. And you can see all the stuff that I'm posting there. You can also check me out at deandreanichols.com. That's D-E-Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, N-I-C-H-O-L-S.com. You can also find me on YouTube on two channels. Just search my name, D Nichols, and also follow me on Instagram. All of my journeys, all of my personal life is lived through Instagram. I I love showing and sharing stories through the photos of what I'm doing each day. And then let's have a conversation on Twitter, twitter.com backslash DE underscore Nichols. That's the same with Instagram as well. DE underscore Nichols. 
All right. Sounds good. Well, Dean Nichols, thank you again so, so much for coming on the show. There have been a lot of people that I've interviewed for the show, and a good number of them have asked me to reach out to you, like, oh, you should totally have Dean Nichols on the show. She should really be on the show. Um, and I can tell, I mean, just from you talking about your work, I can really sense and feel the passion that you have for for giving back to your community. And I think that's something that a lot of designers can really take to heart. You know, the theme that we have for this month is design through civic innovation. And I really feel like you're taking not just your design talent and your design thinking, but coupling that with the other experiences that you have to really affect and make change in your community. So thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Maurice. I I really appreciate this opportunity. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Dee Nichols and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dee and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Their attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Again, you remember those ratings and reviews that I read at the top of the show? It only takes a minute or two. It really, really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for Design Podcast. You know, seeing some new five-star reviews definitely would make me happy as we come up on our 150th episode next week. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.